Welcome again, Smyrna Campus, everybody connecting with us online. We're so glad that you are with us today as we continue our series called Worldview. The first week in this series, we talked about why it matters so much <clears throat> that we have a biblical worldview. The way we think about our worldview determines how we make decisions, what choices we make in life. It determines how we look at people and the things, the material things of the world. It, it, it directs our lives in every way. The next week, we talked about how uh, we need to have a biblical worldview and what that looked like. Uh, last week, we talked about the four pillars of a biblical worldview. We, we talked about uh, creation and your view of creation and rebellion where we rebelled into sin and salvation as God had this plan to send his son Jesus before the foundation of the world even. And how his plan includes the restoration of all things back to his created order and intention of things. Uh, for all eternity. And today we're going to talk about another part of this worldview, the importance of it, and that is the five greatest influencers of worldview. The five greatest influencers that have formed your worldview in your life and that are forming the worldview of the generations coming behind us because there are five main areas of influence. Now, there are others too, and these can fluctuate in order depending on your circumstances in life, but these are the five major influencers of worldview. Before we get to it, though, this list, I Googled because there's, there's something new, uh, fairly recent. That is, there's a new career path people can take that, that, that what didn't even exist not too long ago. And some of you will recognize the term or the title, social media influencer, right? There are people today who that is actually their job. That's how they make a living. And depending on how many followers they have, they can get paid from just a little bit of money to large sums of money for people and, and companies to get them to promote themselves or their product on social media because of the, the influence they have by having that many followers on social media. We're talking about Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and all the social media platforms where they have great influence in those areas. And, and I, I once heard this change now uh, that, that you know the difference between a bench and a social media influencer, one of them can support a family, right? It used to be only the bench could support the family, right? But now it seems like there's a real job there. there. There's a way for people to monetize this and make a living. So I Googled the five top social media influencers, and there were different lists that had, you know, flip-flop order of, of people and all that, depending on who did the list. But, but these five were in most every list, okay? At the top was Cristiano Ronaldo, Justin Bieber, Ariana Grande, Selena Gomez, and Nashville's own Taylor Swift, right? And the reason is, we think it's kind of funny, but these people have so many followers, if they promote a product or a restaurant or something like that, it brings huge response and huge business to those places. And so all these people don't try to make money off of it, but they can, and many of them do, make lots of money off of their social media influence. You see, there are certain people that other people listen to. I love Conan O'Brien put out a tweet about social influencers. He said this, 
If you're an Instagram influencer who doesn't have a picture of yourself and a sea of wildflowers, can I even trust your dry shampoo recommendations? <laughs> there are certain things that are pretty common to all the social media influences, the pictures they post and the, the look that they try to have and all of that. But it changes all the time with what people are responding to. Well, when it comes to developing a worldview, there it could be and there is actually a list of the five that have the most influence in your life and in the life, lives of others. Uh, when, we, when I go through this list, you're going to notice something. It seems pretty obvious, but, it, but the list proves it out. And that is the people that you spend the most time with have the most influence on your life. And the places that you spend time in have the most influence on your life. So when we read through this list and we look at each one individually, you'll see these are people that, that have the, the availability and the opportunity and often the, the, the commitment to spend time with the people that they want to influence in their worldviews. I want to start with Deuteronomy chapter 6. Remember, this is a passage we looked at earlier too. It's talking about God's people moving into this new land that God was giving them and how they needed to conduct themselves there. And one of the things in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that he starts with is how they needed to pass down their faith from generation to generation to generation. All right? They needed to pour that influence into the generations coming behind them. Let's pick up in verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Right away, he introduces the number one influencer of worldview on the people coming behind them is parents. Parents have by far the most influence on the worldview of their children. Sometimes we don't feel like we do. Sometimes we don't feel like we're having that impact. But good, listen to me, good or bad, parents have the greatest influence in the lives of their children when it comes to what worldview your children are going to have. And that's because you have them in your presence for so many years, right? They, they start out totally dependent on you. And, and the voice they're hearing the most in their lives is whose voice? Their parents, by far. Now, at a certain point, they start trying to tune that out, right? We all know that. That, that's part of the process of them growing into independent adults themselves, where they were making their own decisions now. They usually think they're ready before they are, right, to, to tune that out and start making their own influence. But here's how you know even then you still had an influence, because when they have kids, what do you hear coming out of their mouth? The same things you said start coming out of their mouths, too right? They didn't want it to, they didn't mean for it to, but it happens. Why? Because parents have the most influence over the worldview of their kids. So what we read in Deuteronomy 6 reminds us that's not by mistake. That's not just by chance. That's God's design. That's God's plan. Is that that responsibility falls on the parents. 
to be the biggest influencer on our kids, on the generations coming behind us. Proverbs 1.8, it says this, listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. So listen to me. God's plan is clear. A man and a woman married bring children into the world and together as a team, they pour into and influence those children. That's the ideal. That's how God designed it to be the very best way that it can be done. We know that's not always the setting in every home. We understand that. But that doesn't change the fact that that was God's ideal. That's the way he wanted it to be. That's the best way for this to work, the way God wants it to work. We, we can always vary off God's plan, right? But, but there are always challenges with getting away from God's plan. Even when we follow God's plan, listen to me, there's still great challenges. Even when the man and the woman are married and they're raising their kids together and they're working as a team, that doesn't mean things aren't going to go wrong and things aren't going to be hard and there won't be challenges. There will be. But this is the best plan for raising up those generations to have the worldview that God wants them to have. But here's the thing, just having that in place doesn't guarantee that you're doing it the right way either, right? There are moms and dads that are working together as a team to raise their kids, but they're not making God's word a priority in their home. They're not setting that example. They're not teaching it to their kids and their grandkids. They're just, they dropped the ball in that responsibility. So even when you've got the right framework in place, it doesn't mean you're following the plan of God for how this needs to work. You see, the responsibility is not just to, to bring those children into the world and to be their parent. It is to make sure you are teaching and setting the example. You're talking to talk and walking the walk like we talked about last week. You're doing both of those things in front of those children and you're pouring into them the worldview that God would want them to have. That's the ideal. But listen to me. That doesn't mean if you don't have the ideal situation in your home, you can't do this. You can. And I'm thankful for God's grace and his mercy and the strength that he gives and the presence of his spirit in our lives. And if you're a single mom or a single dad, you can still be the greatest influencer on the lives of your kids. And even if you are divorced and the, and the other spouse is in the, in the picture and, and, and also has influence on those kids, this can still work. It can still happen the way God wants it to. Because you still have the greatest influence of all the influences in your kids' lives. And as much as we want to blame everybody else when things don't go well, the responsibility first goes on the parents to pour this worldview that God wants them to have into those kids that are coming along under your care. It's, it's, it's our responsibility as parents to do this in the best way that we can. So parents, we have to take seriously God's calling, God's design for how families are supposed to work, for how the faith is supposed to be passed down from one generation to the next, it starts with the greatest influences in your kids' lives, which is you, the parents. But the second greatest area of influence is family, beyond the parents. Grandparents, aunts, uncles, people that have time with these kids, People have opportunity to speak into their lives, the extended family. If you go back a little earlier in Deuteronomy, in chapter 4, in verse 9, it said this, Only be careful 
and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. And then he adds this, teach them to your children and who else? And to their children after them. Grandparents are supposed to be influencing the worldview of their grandchildren in a good way. Now, again, it doesn't mean you're going to do it in a good way. Grandparents, if they're around their grandchildren at all, are going to influence their grandkids, good or bad. Sometimes my kids say I'm not always the good one, right? Having the good influence in some ways because I let them get by with stuff, right, that I never let them get by with when I had kids in my own house, right? My own kids couldn't get by with the stuff I let my grandkids get by with. Uh, That's part of being a grandparent, guys, okay? That's part of the fun, okay, of being a grandparent. Sugar them up and send them home, right? That's grandparents. But that doesn't absolve us from the responsibility of pouring into them the teachings of God and the example of godly living and what it looks like in the real world and loving them the way God loves them and holding them accountable the way God holds them accountable. Grandparents, we we have a great responsibility there. And any other family member that has time with those kids, helping them grow up and be raised, we need to take seriously the fact that we are a major influence in their lives, which means that's a good thing and also an awesome responsibility. We want to do it right. We want to do it well and make sure for our part we are helping them have the godly worldview, the biblical worldview that God would want them to have. Some of you may have seen this recently. I saw it posted on social media. I had seen it before, and uh, I really liked it. It's called The Four Generation Fade. Have you heard of that? The Four Generation Fade. Here's what it says. Here's how it works. We wonder why kids don't end up making church a priority and, and godly things a priority. Here's how it usually works. Parents don't make church a high priority for their kids. Kids grow up and make it less of a priority for their kids. Third generation, those kids grow up and make it no priority for their kids. By the fourth generation, those kids grow up with no concept of God at all. Only here's the thing. It doesn't always take four generations for that to happen. It can happen from one generation to the next that quickly. Where that priority wasn't poured into the generation coming behind them. You can't go back and fix what didn't happen already, okay? But we can sure start right now getting back on track, can't we? Getting back to that place where we're being that godly influence, the the responsibility we have, we're going to fulfill that responsibility now the way God wants us to. I love what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 5. Uh, Paul's an older uh, leader in the church at this time. Timothy is a younger leader, and Paul is mentoring him and teaching him and leading him on, on how to lead out in the church. And he said this to Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. That word sincere means, you know, it doesn't have, it's not diluted. It doesn't have uh, bad things in it. It's real. It's genuine, okay? I'm reminded of your sincere faith, and here's what happened. It first lived in your grandmother Lois. In your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. You hear the generational passing on of the faith. That's how it's supposed to work. And all of us that have any time or influence over the kids coming behind us, we need to know part of our responsibility is to be sure we're doing what we need to do to pour that biblical worldview into their little hearts and their minds as they're growing up and developing. And as long as you have opportunity, you need to keep doing it. 
You know, as kids get older, obviously they start rebelling a little bit. They start wanting to be their own people. Don't quit just because you don't think they're being receptive. Don't, don't give up just because for a time period, maybe they're outside of that will of God in their lives. You still have opportunity, as long as there's life and breath in you, to keep pouring in to those kids and those grandkids, that biblical worldview. Don't ever stop praying for them and pouring into them as long as you have opportunity to do that. Well, there's a third group that is a major influence, and that is their teachers and coaches that they have in their lives growing up. Their teachers and their coaches. Children spend, listen to this, an estimated 16,000 hours of their lives in school between kindergarten and 12th grade. Now, if you put them in preschool before that, that number goes up even more, right? At least 16,000 hours of their lives from kindergarten to 12th grade. Listen to me. That's nearly 60 times as much time as the church is going to have them under our influence. 60 times as much as the church is going to have them under our influence. Parents, don't underestimate how important it is for you to understand the influence teachers and coaches are having on your kids. Everybody singing in the room today can probably name a teacher that had a great influence in your life. You could also name some that did not, Right? I love teachers. I, I love our teachers here at Lakeshore. We have some amazing men and women that teach in the schools in the area here and, and in Smyrna. And I love, I love our teachers. But friends, just because somebody's a teacher doesn't mean they're doing good things for your kids. Don't assume that because they're teachers that they're teaching in a way with a, with a worldview that you would want those kids to grow up to have, that God would want those kids to grow up to have. They're not all doing that. And here's what's happening. As much as I love teachers, and I'm not ever going to go into to criticize those good teachers that we have, here's what I want you to understand. We talked about this last week. In the public school system, all right, in colleges and all that, the government really has a lot of control and influence and say so over what the schools do. Right? They're government-funded schools, so they have a lot of influence and say so. And for years, the government was more supportive of Christianity and church and all of that. For years, we had that blessing in this country, which meant the schools at least were more neutral and certainly not in opposition to the cause of Christianity and the church in our country. They weren't at all. In fact, many of them were very supportive, and many of their policies were very supportive of churches and the Christian worldview, a biblical worldview. But friends, if you haven't been around it lately and checked it out much and really looked into a lot of the curriculum, you don't realize how much that's changed. As the government got more secular, and it has, and the view of the government was, right, let's separation of church and state, right? We've got to separate those two things completely. Here's the problem. There is no neutral ground in this battle. It's either pro-biblical view or it's not pro-biblical view. There's no in-between there. And as the government becomes more secular, the school system becomes more secular. They pull God out of more things. They pour, pour, pull the Bible out of more and more things. They, they, they pull out that reference to those things. 
And it leaves that void there for 16,000 hours of our kids' lives that's been taken out of a lot of it. Do you understand the impact that can make and the generations coming behind us? Keep praying for your teachers. There's a lot of great teachers out there trying to do the best they can under those conditions. I love them and I appreciate them so much. But friends, what they're working with in the system is not what it used to be at all. If you don't believe me, please take time to check it out. Check out what's being taught in some of the schools, what's being promoted, not in every school, but in a lot of the schools. You need to check it out because there's a movement that has happened that a lot of people are totally blind to in our public school system where they pulled that stuff out of it. And what it's being replaced with is not a biblical worldview at all. And over time, with 16,000 hours of influence, that influences greatly how your children grow up thinking about the world, about creation, about life, about marriage, about gender, about all the things that the Bible speaks to directly. They're not hearing that anywhere else out there if they're not hearing it from you in the home and in the church that you take them to. They're not getting that anywhere else like they used to. And so we've got a lot more to offset and overcome if we want our children to grow up with a biblical worldview today. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Other countries have faced this for years, long before the United States faced this. Christian families in other parts of the world have had to deal with this forever. But for the first time in America, we're having to really face up to this and deal with it like we need to. But whose responsibility is it? It's not the school's responsibility. Whose is it? The parents' responsibility. The grandparents' responsibility. You see, your teachers and coaches that your kids have, they're going to influence them greatly. So we've got to make sure, even if it's not the influence we want it to be, they're getting that in the home and in the church like they need to. They're getting it somewhere else like they need to. We've got to make sure because they're not getting it there a lot of times like they used to. And please, don't think I'm attacking schools or teachers. I'm not. I'm just talking about the reality of what Christian parents have got to deal with today. Okay? By the way, I fully support Christian schools if you have the opportunity. I think that's a good option. Not everybody can do that. I fully support Christian parents who make the choice to homeschool their kids. I think that can sometimes be the best choice depending on the school options you've got out there. Not everybody's equipped to do that. Don't think I'm saying you have to do that if you're a Christian parent. That's not, not everybody's equipped to do that well. But I think that's a good option for some Christian parents if it's a system where you know it's going to be not productive for your kids to be in that system. I think homeschooling can be a good option. And there are a lot of good options for homeschooling out there now with a Christian viewpoint that you can have in raising up your kids and teaching them. So I'm not attacking anybody. I'm just saying Christian parents, we need to take this seriously. Christian grandparents, we've got to understand what we're dealing with here without attacking anybody because obviously God's plan didn't say let the school system put this in your kids. He said who's supposed to put this in our kids? Parents, grandparents, families, churches are supposed to put this in their kids. Okay? All right. So teachers and coaches... Are they having a secular or a biblical worldview? Listen to what uh, it says in Luke 6 and verse 40. I love this 
that's uh, something you don't think about a lot of times. I could read over this passage. I have a lot of times, and I didn't catch it. Listen, I thought of it only in a good way. The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their what? Teacher. So if the teacher is not Christian or have a biblical worldview and you're fully trained by that teacher, what's your worldview going to be? Secular. It's going to be a secular worldview. But that can work in a good way if they have a teacher who trains them in a biblical worldview. That can be a really good thing if that's what's happening. So we have to face up to the reality of the culture that we're dealing with now. Well, the fourth area of influence in the generations coming behind us and developing a biblical worldview is their friends, of course. Uh, sometimes we elevate that one way above the others, but uh, it shouldn't be. But fl- friends do have a big influence, of course, on our kids. I love the wisdom in the book of Proverbs. It's really a lot of it is a dad trying to pour wisdom and a, and a godly worldview into the life of his son. And here's what it says. Walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools suffers harm. In other words, if you hang out with idiots, you're going to get in trouble a lot. Okay? I can't use idiots. If you hang out, the Bible says fools. I guess I can use it because that's in the Bible, right? If you hang out with fools, you're going to suffer harm when you hang out with fools. When people are making foolish choices and you're with them, guess who suffers the consequences with them? You do. So when you're hanging out with people who don't have a biblical worldview a lot, and they're making choices based on their secular worldview, many of them, not all of their choices will be bad, but many of their choices will be outside of God's will for our lives. And if you're not strong enough as a friend not to be influenced by that and go along with that, then what's going to happen is is you're going to be led down that path with them, whether you mean to be or not. Not everybody's strong enough to handle that well. It doesn't mean you can't hang out with non-Christian friends at all. That's not what it's saying. It's saying if you're allowing them to have influence in your life that is not a biblical worldview, then that's a dangerous thing for you. There are certain people that just aren't going to be good for you to be around and hang around all the time. So again, let's get back to parents and grandparents. You better know who your kids are hanging out with, what kind of character they have, what kind of activity are they involved in. Because even if you've got a great kid... Over time, that can have a lot of influence over your child, too. Good or bad, it can have a lot of influence on your child, too. So, friends. So, so far, we've got parents. We've got extended family. We've got teachers and coaches. We've got friends. Number five, I wish it was higher on the list, but it's the church. In most studies, it comes in about fifth of those who have the most influence on the generations coming behind us. But the reason the studies show it comes in fifth and not higher is because, starting with the parents, they haven't made church the priority. You see the connection there? You see, that could go move way up the list if the parents have made church the higher priority in the home. But in the American culture today, fewer and fewer children are being raised in a home where church is a high priority in that home or any priority in that home. The percentages are shifting greatly in how many children are growing up with church being a very big part of their lives as they grow up. 
Hebrews 10, verse 23 says this. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Unswervingly means you hold on to it through the storms and through the bads that right. They hold on to it throughout the course of their lives and they don't let go of it. Studies today are showing that more and more, a higher percentage of kids that did have any church at all in their lives are walking away from it later on in life, especially in the college years, in the early adult years. They're walking away from it completely. And studies are showing that there's some factors that contribute to that, and one of them is, is the parents didn't make it a high priority in their home. They attended church casually, but it was not a priority for them or their families. He says in verse 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but all encouraging one another all the more as you see that day approaching. Not giving up meeting together is a phrase where he's talking about how a lot of people, even in the early church, there's something that started happening. Other things started taking priority over getting together with the church, being involved in church, being a part of the church family. Other things began to take higher priority than that. And so they would let those assemblies of the church slide in their schedule. I know you don't do that here at Lakeshore. You know, nobody's doing that. You know, going to skip in church because of a ball game or practice or because of a fun trip you want to take. Or, you know, no, no families here are doing that. But I just want to throw it out for those that might, you know, know somebody who's doing those things. You're teaching your children church is not the priority. The things of God are not the highest priority. When you let those other things come ahead of that commitment to the church. You see, we've got already in America a couple of generations of kids who had parents who stopped making church the priority. You talk about the four-generation fade. We're into that fourth one now. At least the third one really strongly now close to the fourth generation where that fade is taking place in our families. Where parents didn't make it a priority. And those kids grew up to be parents and they are not making it a priority, even less of a priority and the third generation hasn't made it a priority at all and now they're raising kids what's their priority going to be in their lives it's easy for Christians to sit back and complain about the culture complain about the world and politicians and leaders in our country and all of that. It's easy to sit back and criticize them. And there's some things that we ought to be critical of. But friends, we need to understand if our country turns away from God, it's not their fault. It's the church's fault. And when I say the church, who am I talking about? Us. You see, the church encompasses the parents, the grandparents, the people that are supposed to be pouring into those kids, that biblical worldview. The school gets them 60 times as much as we do. But with the opportunity we have at church, what do we need to be doing with it? Boy, we better be doing our best to pour into them. That's why I'm so grateful for our ministries we have with preschool and grade school and middle school and high schoolers that we we've got a small window there of opportunity 
Let's do the best job we can with it. And let's get more people committed to helping with that. You want our country to have a better future? That's where it starts. Right there. Is you giving up some time and some resources and some influence that you've got to pour into these generations coming behind us. You set the example that church is the priority it ought to be by you committing to serve and give and help with what we're trying to do with these kids that we're trying to reach for Christ. You make it a priority for you because you are the church. So I'm going to give you three things to do, very practical things to do, so that the church can have the influence we need to have. The first one is choose a church that teaches the Bible clearly. I think Lakeshore does that. If you don't, find one that does, please. I think we do that here. Not just from the pulpit, but in our kids' classes, in our youth group meetings. I believe the Bible is being taught clearly because the root of biblical worldview is Scripture. If Scripture is not being taught, they're not going to grow up with a biblical worldview. Make sure the church you are in and your kids are in is teaching the Bible clearly. And I'm thankful for our teachers here that are doing that. The second thing you need to commit to is then get involved and attend regularly with your family. Set that example that that's a priority in your home. You don't start with your kids on Saturday night and say, hey, do you kids want to get up and go to church tomorrow? As if that's even an option. That's not an option. It was never an option for my kids. Of course, I was the preacher. You know, it would look bad, but... Even if I hadn't been the preacher, I can assure you my kids would not have been able to tell me if we were going to church or not. I'm the parent. I make that decision. I'm responsible for pouring into them and setting that priority and that example. And they're not the ones that are supposed to be doing that or picking their gender or any of that other stuff either. All right? The parents are supposed to be the parents. You make those decisions for your family. And especially fathers, I want you to know you ought to be leading the way as the father in that family and making that the priority. When I say attend regularly, too, uh, that's been redefined in our country. Even church growth and church attendance surveys now say if someone attends a couple of times a month, they're considered regular attenders. So you just cut in half, a little more than cut in half, the time the church can still influence your kids if you're only attending two times a month. You just reduce the ability of the church to have the impact on your kids that the church needs to have. It needs to be more than that, friends. You need to get them here for youth programs and children's activities. You need to invest in that, okay? Which is the third thing. You choose a church that teaches the Bible, you attend regularly, and you support it generously. Now, why is that a big deal? Well, the preacher's asking for money again. Yes, I am. Because God says that should be a priority for families, that we put God first in that part of our lives too. We invest in the church and the ministry of the church because that's the most important thing you can do with your money ever. It is. It's the best investment you could ever make with any dollar you give. Is for it to go toward that. And if you've got other things that are taking priority over that, then you need to readjust your priorities now and get back to putting the church on the top of those, that list of priorities financially. 
We all say we want a good church and we want to have good programs for our kids and we want to do a good job for our families and we don't support it. How do you expect it to happen if you're not supporting it? And I'm not just talking about money either. What about people who do go back there and work with the kids on Sundays or Wednesday nights or Sunday nights with the programs that we have for the kids? What about people giving time to that? Doesn't that demonstrate to your kids what your priorities are, what you spend money on, what you give your time to? Tell your kids what your priorities are every time. What you spend money on and give time to clearly indicates to your kids what is a priority in your life. Friends, this is not a sermon where I just want to to say, oh, we're not doing what we ought to do. There are a lot of people here at Lakeshore that are doing this, and I'm so grateful for it. This church has had a huge impact. When I look out over our church family, the Smyrna campus and this one, you know what I see? I see some young adults raising their kids here at Lakeshore who grew up here themselves. It's been passed down from generation to generation to generation. They've stayed committed. They've stayed involved. They've set that priority, and they've kept it. But friends, the percentage is not where it needs to be. We know that. We need to do better. We need to recommit to this. We need to be sold out on this completely because the culture is changing and we've got to do a better job to offset the secular culture that our kids are growing up in today. Thank you for those who have done that, who have committed to that recently and who will commit starting today. We're going to pour into this with a full commitment of our lives so that the generations behind us can grow up to know and follow Jesus too. You see, the Great Commission says, go and make disciples of all people. You know where that starts? In the home. You got to disciple your own kids and grandkids first if we're going to disciple the world. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that in Christ, we're not left to do this on our own. You promised that when we are obedient and professing Jesus as Savior and we're baptized into Christ, you give us a gift. It's a wonderful gift. It's your spirit. You come to live in your spirit in us to guide and direct and encourage and strengthen us to what you've called us to do. You've given us your word to guide and direct what we teach and how we teach it and the example that we're going to set. Help us, Father, to live a life worthy of that calling, of that investment you've made in us, and help us to be willing to invest in others in the same way. Father, for somebody here today who's ready to commit their lives to knowing and following Jesus, I pray that they would take that step even today as they start that new life with him. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.